welcome to Amped Up. This is your host, Ryan Knight, and our guest today is David Kim. David is a community activist and bold progressive candidate running for Congress in California's 34th Congressional District. David, welcome to Amped Up. Thank you so much, Ryan. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to have you, and uh, I was excited to endorse your campaign, and uh, I see you out there fighting for all the right things, so that's giving me a, a lot of hope. Um, since this is your first time on the podcast, why don't you just start off by giving uh, our listeners a little bit about your background and, and why you're running for Congress? To tell you just a little about my background, I'm currently an immigration attorney. I defend respondents in immigration court when they receive their notice to appear uh, of being removed from the country. And I also um, help and fight for asylum for a lot of my clients who are seeking asylum. And prior to that, I had I worked as an attorney eight to nine years and I realized and 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 I did the two to three job hustle because at a point um, there were no paid legal jobs and I had to still fill up my resume. So I remember driving for Uber and Lyft 7 p.m. to 4 a.m. every day and then sleeping for three, four hours and then going back to my free attorney job and 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 doing the daily high grind and hustle and and seeing our neighborhoods with two families to one bedroom apartment with our district being the 10th poorest congressional district in the nation uh, with per capita incomes in the mid 20s with all this financial distress and daily deep-rooted chronic economic anxiety that people wake up in every single day wondering how they're going to put food on the table or pay rent we've come to a point where it's like there's these are the most urgent times that we're in right now and our elected officials are doing nothing they're doing the bare minimum if at all and and it's time for us as the people to step up and to say hey you can't do that anymore because we just realized all the crap that you've been doing to us and and all the lip service that's been feeded to our ears and now is the time that we stand up and and take care of ourselves and say we matter because we've been pre-programmed subconsciously to think that our voices don't matter that that our opinions don't matter and that what we're being told is the truth but i think now it's time for us to wake up the sleeping giant to wake up uh the the american people and so i'm running to unseat the corporate incumbent because our people People are in financial distress. Our communities are being oppressed physically, mentally, emotionally, domestically and foreign abroad. Um, and our elected officials are doing nothing because they pledge their allegiance to corporate interests, corporate donors, party leadership, the military industrial complex. And enough is enough. And we can't waste another two years to elect, reelect the same official and expect different results. And so that's why I'm running Ryan. Mm. No, I, you know, I, I love that you have the lived experience of being a member of the working class, because to hear you say that you had to work three jobs, you know, here we are, you know, quote unquote, the richest nation in the history of the world. People shouldn't have to work three jobs to support themselves, right? People should be able to have one job and, and be able to, uh, you know, make a living for themselves. And it's and and we have been the working class has been beaten down for so many years for four straight decades, and they've been carrying this nation on their back while we have a government that is yeah they're doing the bare minimum for for the working people but they're doing the maximum for Wall Street and for the billionaire class and for their corporate donors and it's created a society that has massive levels of 
wealth inequality, and massive levels of racial injustice. And it just feels like if we don't embrace the fundamental change we need, that like we're going to topple, right? When when something is it's you know when something does is too weighted to one side, it, it can't sustain itself. It's going to topple. Um, so I love to hear that like you have that working class experience because I think so many of our Congress members, you know, they're millionaires themselves, the, you know, and so they're so removed and disconnected from the pain and, and the economic hardship of their constituents. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, right? And I mean, we have a widening wealth gap that ever increases for the past 40 plus years. Our, our working class, they're being profiteered off, they're being made money off of, and then being given to the corporate interests and the military industrial complex, the private prison industrial complex, etc. And, and, and you're right, because our elected officials are basically like balloons cut off from the ground, aimlessly flying in the air because they're not able to connect with with the hardship. They're not able to see the, the suffering that's going on um, because either one, I mean, they're, they're completely numb and different because they're in their cash bubble. Um, I know that for, for some of the organizers who are organizing the, the people's stimulus protest here, they took some time trying to find my opponent's residence because he owns several properties. Um, and, and I, and I don't think that's unique to him. I think that's common for everyone out there, um, who are career politicians where they've become so disconnected. And we have now a government that isn't even representative of the people where, to me, a representative government looks like one where people from all different kinds of walks of life, backgrounds and stories are running for office because they want to represent uh, the people that they're in, the communities that they're in, and really pr uh, present a representative government. But our, what our elected officials are doing right now, the, the word itself represent, they're not even doing that. They're not manifesting the will of the people. They're not talking with their constituents before they go legislate in D.C. and trying to see how they can articulate that. And so it's, it's they're talking to the corporate lobbyists. <laughs> they're talking. They're talking to corporate lobbyists. It's like their constituents are this complete corporate base, and then yet they go ahead and say, "I did this HR so and so that somebody else wrote for me that I didn't really even look into, and I passed it for you, and which I didn't even talk to you about to see if it would help you or not." So it's it's just kind of this. I think it's just this deeper awareness that we also, as the as those listening, as those who are now being more civically and politically engaged, to realize that this is also um, a time for us to realize, yeah, there's all these problems and, and we're looking at all of them, but what can we do and what can we realize? And what we can realize is that we actually do have the power if we go ahead and say that I matter, if we matter. And it's kind of simple to the analogy of like, I know that when I was a, a, a child, um, I would I would be bullied a lot for being really big. And, and I remember my dad saying, once you believe that you matter, then everything will stop. You won't even be tormented anymore. You'll be able to stand up for yourself. And and I know it sounded kind of harsh, but once my dad said that, I thought, oh, you're right. And I, and I started speaking up and talking up and realized that I matter. And I wasn't physical. I was not a physical person. I was still peaceful. And they also realized, oh, holy crap, like um, we shouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. And I think for us collectively as the American people, like give, just to give you just to give you some idea and for those listening, in our district, there's 700,000 people and that number is common to a lot of congressional districts. There's about 300,000 people that are registered voters. Of those 300,000, um, generally the turnout is 
uh, around 100,000. The most is 150,000, which was two years ago. And so if you're looking at that, if we were to even mobilize and activate that voter base, imagine who we would end up electing into <clears throat> Congress. So my opponent was elected through a special election where only 40,000 people voted. Um, and so just to think that because of that one time, he continues to get elected and elected because he has $1 million war chest of campaign corporate money that no challenger can really stand up to. Um, and so in a, in a way, it's, it's, it's this deeper realization where we need to kind of say and realize, oh, yo, like our Democrats, our Republicans, they're all the same if they're corporate. They end up just serving the corporate interests. They end up serving the military defense contractors. They end up serving Pentagon. And in, in that sense, it's for instead of the lip service, we're looking for elected officials that actually have a spine that can say bold things. Um, and it's not even bold things, but now we have to articulate it as being bold because people are so afraid to speak their minds. And it's only because we have people like AOC, Representative Ilhan Omar and others that are speaking up in recent that now the people is waking up even more with with candidates like Bernie and, and Marianne and, and other people that have let us out of our bird cages. And so if we've been let out, now the next step for us is to organize, mobilize, to tell each other to spread the fire and to, to let that spread even more. And so, yeah, going back to what you had just said, our elected officials are profiteering off of us, the people, and we're not even realizing it. It's time for us to wake up. Absolutely. And and it's very well said. You know, I think our government was was failing the people even before the this pandemic. Oh, yes, and, way and long before. Way yeah. long before, you know, but but since this pandemic, it's been like I mean, I think it's just it's it's on steroids. I mean, we are seeing massive levels of suffering in this country right now. At least 5.4 million Americans have lost their health care. 28 million Americans reported that they are going hungry because they can't afford enough food. 30 million Americans are facing eviction and at risk of losing their homes. And yet, while millions of Americans are suffering during this pandemic, the billionaire class has increased their wealth by over $565 billion. And the reason for this suffering and this wealth disparity is because we have a corrupt government that puts the endless greed of the 1% over the dignity of the 99%. When the pandemic hit, the first thing Congress did was bail out Wall Street and their corporate donors. And they still haven't passed a bold relief package to bail out the people. David, what are your thoughts on the complicity of Congress as they do nothing while the people are suffering? It's very, it's, I don't even have the words to express what that feeling and, and how horrible and inhumane um, their lack of action and disinterest is, is in my mind, if you have, what if you want to blame it on the Senate? Fine, go ahead and do so. But even before stepping to that, like in the in in the acts that was passed that we've passed in the pandemic, to not even know that you're passing away billions of dollars in tax cuts and to make the wealthy richer, that you're passing that you just voted for some act that's now granting twenty plus billion dollars to defense contractors in a time of a pandemic where people need rent mortgage cancellation, in a time where people need actual recurring cash relief, and now you're giving that money away. It's like, are you are you 
effing serious? What's going on? You're doing the complete opposite. And and I think it's it's to the point where like, yeah, we need to have our megaphones out and saying our politicians, our officials are lying right in front of our faces. Look at what they're doing. And a lot of these officials aren't even uh, most of them don't even know what they're passing. I I, I remember seeing my opponent in uh, in an AMA and he was trying he was fumbling trying to remember what the major points and they weren't even hard points of the bill that he just passed were. And so it's it's in the sense of if you were if you were working at any of the places that I had worked for, you would have been fired in the first 90 days. Like take your job seriously. Represent the people. Wear the employer. Like do your job and if you don't we're going to fire you. And in that sense like we should have already seen you supporting co-sponsoring rent, mortgage, and cancellation. We should have already seen you co-sponsoring and supporting recurring monthly cash relief and all of these other things. Um, we should have seen you passing Medicare for all during a pandemic like this when people have millions had no health insurance before and millions more lost it. Um, and, and the numbers that you had pointed out, they're, they're horrifying. And if that doesn't get you to leave your to leave your luxurious residence and go protest, what will? If that's not the conviction or passion that you have, then that means you've passed the, the you failed that first litmus test of your love and passion for the people. Because now it's not, love isn't just a word that we just throw around and say, I'm fighting for the people and this is how I do it. And this is how I show my love for the people. Love is something greater and bigger. Like we need to see it in action. And so if you're an elected official and you're blaming it on the Republicans, let's say, even though you're the same person because you've You've continued to vote and fund and authorize ICE, even though you claim you fight for the immigrant communities. You claim that you're fighting for justice reform, even though you voted no on prison reform, and you're you're taking money from Core Civic and other private prison industrial complex companies. And so it's it's realizing and and having this massive education and awareness campaign for them, but then also realizing that our elected officials are complete phonies. They're fakes. If they really cared for us, and let's say if my opponent really was blaming the Republicans for this he should be protesting at mitch's house or whoever's person's house that he's blaming it on like that's the type of conviction and passion we need to see and that's why and if if not then then why are we electing these people into office and trusting them with this um monopolistic type power of legislating for us why are we doing that and so now it's really time for us to step up and take care of ourselves and say we matter and really take action yeah i mean i i said just a few weeks ago like what is the point of the Democratic Party if, you know, during a, a pandemic, they're refusing to support Medicare for all? You know, what is the point of the Democratic Party if during a financial crisis, they're refusing to support universal basic income? You know, what is the point of the Democratic Party when the majority, you know, when the, when the leadership in the party are refusing to support a Green New Deal during the climate crisis? So, like, we have all these bold, progressive policies to deal with with the inequalities and injustices that our systems produce, and yet our corporate Democrats, it's not even just the Republicans. We know the Republicans oppose all this stuff, but they're honest about it at least. They flat out say they don't support this stuff. But then you have corporate Democrats, you know, like Joe Biden and, and Nancy Pelosi and even Barack Obama, who sedated us, you know, with platitudes of hope and change, yet then turned around and just handed more power to corporations, billionaires, and Wall Street. And so we are at a moment in our history 
where platitudes aren't enough. You know, platitudes aren't going to stop the climate crisis. Platitudes aren't going to stop the cost of healthcare crisis. Platitudes aren't going to stop you know, the increased poverty and, and the massive levels of economic inequality. Platitudes aren't going to stop police brutality and, and the racial injustice crisis. And so we have massive problems and, a whole, and, the, and the majority of the Democratic Party is just offering platitudes and then turning around and governing just like Republicans do for their corporate donors. And if we ever want to see change in this country, that has to stop now. Yeah, the Republican Party has never even pretended to represent me because, I, and that's why I've never been a Republican. And I've never voted for a Republican in my life. But for 18 years, I've been voting for Democrats and they've been promising me all these things. And for 18 years, nothing has changed. And every election, they're like, okay, you know, we just got to beat the Republicans this time. You know, meaningful change can wait until next time. No, there is no next time. We need change now for our people. And that's where, like, you know, people get on me for criticizing the Democratic Party. But look, like, the Republican Party, they, they don't ever pretend to represent me. I know that they don't support me. They, they stab me in the front. The Democratic Party says that, you know, they represent me or, or pretends to, but then just offers platitudes and, and ends up stabbing me in the back. So, like, I'm done with this leadership that's not authentic and is lying and is corrupt to its core. We need leaders who are actually going to lift up and fight for the people with bold policies, not platitudes. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you're you so right on that, Ryan. So I wouldn't be surprised if, um, I mean, yes, there is the Green Party, and yes, I also used to be a Green Party member. And I say that with, with some joy because the Green Party experience was really great. They're great people, but I think its organization is, is a very strong weakness there. Um, but there there is going to be the rise of a major party, and I know that you're also uh, working with... Um, uh, movement for a People's Party, but but in 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 regards to um, what we're doing, like this is not something that we can continue on. And I know that there's been talks over the past few years of, hey, will there be a major third party besides the Green Party rising up? And I think now is actually that time. Like you can really feel it in the air because the times are so urgent and the times are so necessary because our people are so desperate and mentally, emotionally, physically, financially in all areas, individually and collectively as communities, domestically and abroad. And so even when we're actually kind of calling out when we're calling out and um, calling whether they be potential supporters or people that are living in the district, what's what's very I don't even know what the word is. What's very sad, I guess the word is sad. What's sad to see and hear is sometimes the person on the other line saying, oh, but you're a Dem running against a Dem. Oh, OK, then we're good. Like, why do I need to? And so when when. When, when that realization is not there, that's our job to go ahead and share and, and really identify what's going on because a lot of the times, like, we don't know what's going on because we're too busy with the daily grind and hustle of life. And I get that. But then it's also telling and sharing with each, each person, like, yeah, I, I get that politics is not you, but everything... Everything around you is politics. That paycheck you get, that's politics. That rent you're paying, that's politics. You you being able to switch on the light and, and flushing the toilet, that's politics. And I think it's for us to realize that 
because politics has gotten such a bad name and rap, which I which I completely agree with because our elected officials have let us down and have cheated us and defrauded us into believing that, that there will be a better world when it's the same world that's been the case and has been deteriorating even more for the past 40 years. And so I get that. But and so it's our time to now share that, to share that with people that we're talking to. Or And so when I hear somebody um, uh, a volunteer sharing with me, oh, yeah, the person was just telling me that she she or he or they only support uh, races where it's about to flip red to blue. And, and so now it's expanding our consciousness more on collectively as a people and to realize that this party, this Democratic Party, as they exist right now and as they have shown aren't really the party for the people right now. Because if they were, they wouldn't be giving away their power like that. Like, if you have a majority in the House, that's huge. Use that. Exercise that. I don't care what you say about the Senate and not having a majority there. We have a majority in the House, and 88% of Democratic voters support Medicare for All, and yet we can't get a floor vote on Medicare for All in the House that we control because Speaker Pelosi will not allow it to come to the floor. So if you, you know, how are we ever going to get the American people and the Republican Party to, you know, to to fight for these policies if we, our own party, can't even fight for them themselves? You know, part of it is that belief. And forever, Democrats have just kind of started a negotiation from a centrist position. And then what ends up happening is the Republicans fight for everything they want. So then the, the Overton window in America just keeps shifting further and further to the right. You know, when you start a negotiation, you have to start from its boldest part, right? You don't start from a public option because you're probably going to get nothing. You start from a med from Medicare for all, from the most bold part of the negotiation. But that's not how Democrats do it. They want to start from like a center, moderate position from the very beginning and then what ends up happening is the corporate donors get everything they want. The working class gets nothing. And the, and the Overton window, we just keep shifting further and further to the right. And so what I've found is, is the Democratic Party's embrace of corporatism has enabled and emboldened Republican fascism. Because when Democrats don't fight for our bold agenda and they don't fight for Medicare for all or they don't fight for a Green New Deal or they don't fight for universal basic income, it allows the Republicans to go on offense and it allows the Republicans to fight for their right wing you know, white nationalist agenda. So you have Republicans unapologetically fighting for their agenda and then you have corporate Democrats not fighting for a progressive agenda. So what ends up happening is we just get the Republicans get to play offense and put the, the Democrats on defense. At some point, you know, if you use a sports analogy, if you're a soccer team, you got to go on offense. You got to attack the Republicans' goal. You know, you got to go and actually fight for your values and your policies. And you're not, you know, anyone who thinks that you're attacking the Republican Party by just saying Trump is bad, like, no, like that's nothing. <laughs> Trump is bad. You know, yes, we all know that, but that's not a policy or a vision yeah. to move the America forward. You know, Trump is bad is not going to improve anyone's life saying that a thousand times. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to advance, you have to actually fight for policies and attack yes. the Republicans' goal. We don't have Democrats that do that. Yes. 
Yes, you you nailed it right. I was just laughing at the end because I see a lot of my opponent's tweets attacking Trump, and I'm just like, well, give it up. Like, what are you doing? Come on. And so, and so that's why I was just laughing. Oh, my gosh, Ryan, like, is so good at diagnosing. And that's what I admire about your tweets and your leadership, um, just for our, our movement as well, just the people's movement in, in general all over America. And I, I think you nailed it. Like, why is it that the representatives who are giving us lip service and who claim and allege that they're fighting for us, why are they giving up their power? And why aren't we catching that and saying something about that? And it's us for us to say, hey, stop giving up our power. Like, stop doing that or you're out. Um, but even that, um, uh, a lot of voters, they don't still realize the what the kind of the the I don't know the complete irony and, and the complete uh, just ridiculousness of of continuing to reelect corporate Democrats who are merely spineless, fearful, reactive, not realizing that they're just mere puppets in the system and giving or, over more money uh, to the wealthy, to the corporates, to the few um, who who lord over them. And and so like in Congress, like if you have a majority like that in the House, you should be speaking up. You should be standing up. Like. Why is it that just the few in leadership are determining everything and the fate of the country? That does not make sense. That is not a representative government. And we've we've really are an oligarchy that Bernie Sanders had first talked about and said in his speeches since the early 90s. Like, And there's no difference. It's now just being more said and being brought to the surface. But, but I mean, yeah, in this pandemic, we've seen even more more um, exchanges of wealth uh, from the people to the wealthy. And um, this this idea of, I mean, and this is not something new because the government has been controlling the people through po- poverty and without our even knowing they're doing that and, and making it even worse through this pandemic. And for us to to look at the DNC platform and to, to think, oh, wow, Medicare for all wasn't passed. Oh, wow, um, Medicare for kids. Can 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 rejecting corporate money and banning corporate lobbies? That was that's not on the platform, and that was voted against. And it's kind of thinking, oh, what does that mean for me? What does that mean with my personal values and the direction for the country? And I think it's these deeper questions and discussions that we need to have. And um and just as just as in a way that uh, challengers keep when they run for office against the incumbent. They tried. They run, and one of the benefits is keeping the incumbent a little more accountable and helping them be more aligned with where they need to be. And in the same way, that that needs to really happen in our government and in our political scene here in the U.S. With with this now, I mean, it's not even a two-party system; it's a one-party system. And so we need a second party to to come along, um, because pretty much uh, what it looks like right now is is. They're, they're all the same party if, if they all still have corporate interest and corporate monies and, and corporate ties at hand. And you really need to trace all the money back to where it is. Like, is it really a system where these elected officials are being paid by these corporate interests to then pay them back bigger dole outs and corporate bailouts when they're in office? Yes, it is. And it's to really call and identify and, and call that out, um, despite what the the mass media which is also corporate um is telling us and so we just need to be aware and i'm i'm not trying to sound like a conspiracy theorist but it's really just waking up like this is where 
corporate interests are ruling everything right now and we can't they're ruling our elected officials and so that's yeah. why it's so important to 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 support candidacies candidates and campaigns that are a hundred percent people powered that have signed pledges um that that have views and and values that are aligned with your own and with your communities and your families and and for the greater good of the people because if if we're not going towards a world where everyone gets to have the same opportunity to 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 healthcare to education to to be able to have good food to have to sleep in a room with a roof and 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 um, uh, a room for them and be able to pay their basic expenses what are we doing if the government is of the people for the people by the people it's not doing what it's doing right now then and we need to troubleshoot uh, we need our people running for office to troubleshoot and say, hey, we've seen you run the course of our country for quite some time now. Now we're going to we're now we're going to uh, troubleshoot and, and fix what you did and, and really set our country back on path. And so that's the time that's that we're entering right now. And 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 for those who are listening on how they can go ahead and be involved, go go be involved. Uh, look out for any candidacies or campaigns that you can join. Jo- look out for what protests are happening in your area sign up to make phone calls for david kim sign up sign up to phone bank for us yes <laughs> thanks <Ryan. laughs> i didn't expect that thank you but yes no you're you're absolutely right uh, you know and i do think that we are experiencing an awakening you know i think 2016 woke a lot of people up and i think that there's even more people waking up now but you know, it's very simple. Like you are a, the reason I endorsed your campaign and all the campaigns that I endorsed was because you don't take corporate PAC money. And for me, it's really simple. Like if you if if you take corporate PAC money and you're being funded by the giant insurance companies, of course you're not going to fight for Medicare for all because the giant insurance companies don't want Medicare for all. If you're funded by big oil. Of course, you're not going to fight for a Green New Deal because big oil doesn't want a Green New Deal because it's going to change the way they do business. You know, if you're funded by, you know, the the for-profit prison industry, of course, you're not going to fight for real criminal justice reform because, you know, locking people up makes the for-profit prison industry a lot of money. And if you're def- if you're funded by the defense industry, of course, you're not going to want to end the endless wars or bring our troops home for more because war is what's making the defense industry a lot of money. And so you come to find out that every decision in Washington is about money, but it's not about our money. It's not about the people's money. It's about the money of the oligarchs and the money of the giant corporations. And it's about the money of the billionaire class. How can they make more? Who can they exploit to make more? And how can we continue these systems which continue to profit off of war and incarceration and sickness? And, and you really see just how disgusting uh, our, our country is. Um, one thing I wanna bring up uh, here is, but getting back on, the, on track here, is we're having such a great conversation, but you gave a, a very impassioned speech outside of your opponent, uh, Jimmy Gomez's house, to demand that Congress bail out the people. And in that speech, you called him out for taking money uh, you know, from the for-profit prison industry. And then you, you did something that I think was so just incredible. You proclaimed that we are the economy, as in we the people, the working class, that we are the economy. And during a moment when the rich keep getting richer 
and everyone else keeps falling further and further behind, I think that is such a powerful message to remind people that it is the working class that powers the economy. David, how do we fix our rigged economy and, and get it working again for the working class? Yeah, um, yeah, that that speech that day, I was... I was, I had no idea that I would be, and for those who haven't seen it, you can go ahead and look it up. Um, you got to watch it. Yeah. Um, you can go ahead and look it up. I was, I was actually surprised at myself after finishing that speech because I had no idea that I would be so deeply distraught and just groaning from the inner depths of myself because I was just so angry and so sad and so mad and so pissed off as I was as I was just speaking to the crowd of people that had showed there to protest at my opponent's place and calling him out for not passing a people's bailout, for not passing a people's stimulus when it's the people that are hurting the most. Um, it's our communities that are hurting the most. It's our restaurants, our local family-owned businesses that have been closed for five, six months, and those that are that have been open have lost more than 90, 80, 90% in sales, yet they're they're still supposed to pay rent and all of that. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is not just one block. It's not two blocks. It's not five blocks. It's entire neighborhoods, multiple groups of neighborhoods, cities states like this is all across our country where is the love who are you as a human being do a human being check on yourself where is that element in you because we don't see it and you're not a human being to us that's that's the most inhumane thing to do to continue to bail out corporate interests to continue to have these ties of where it's a money exchange amongst yourselves, amongst the elected officials and the corporate interests, and with the people looking at looking from the bottom, com being completely squeezed out from this completely free market system, which is not a free market. It's a market for mm -hmm. the privileged and the few. So so it's it's realizing that, hey, if you don't have an economy if you don't have the people who have the purchasing power, who are the who have the power, who make up the economy, then what economy are we talking about? And and this is where our our whole our whole value system has been so skewed where during a pandemic we have a stock market that's doing well. During a pandemic we have profits being made the highest for corporations, but yet the people are financially suffering. Like what kind of society and age are we entering into? Like this is serious. For those who are listening, this is super, super deeply serious. And and to a point where where even before the automation argument and, and realities come up, this is something that has been intentionally done to us, the people, for 40 years, where we haven't been realized as the we are the economy and we are the people. And that's what make we make up the backbone and economic life of this country. So what what are we looking at from a historical just quick glance? where the, 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 the government and our elected officials and corporate interests are co controlling the people through poverty and, and that widening wealth cap is increasing. So to a point where now you're going to have a stock market that's operating without the people. So what are you left to give to the people? Nothing. So what are, what's, what are we looking at? We're looking at 40% of small businesses won't be able to return after the pandemic. What's going to happen? Yeah. That, that stat broke my heart. 
Yeah, it's bigger conglomerates, bigger corporate interests, bigger landlords, these huge developers. What are we doing right now? Like we're completely giving away our power right before our eyes and we're not doing anything about it. And so for us to we need to we need to step up again to fix this rigged economy where we need to stand up and step up for our rights, where where we need to demand a universal basic income, where we need to demand jobs with living wages, where we need to demand that the government first take care of us, because I I it would be it's it's a frightening thing to say. But we could be going to a point where the entire where entire masses of people in America are are in the most horrible, poor working conditions ever, where we're not able to even pay for our own rent. And I know that sounds horrifying, but we and and to continue to go to that point and to be okay with it to a government that's supposed to be of the people, for the people, by the people, that's something where we need to realize that, hey, it's not crazy for us for us to speak up and demand what we need. So we need to demand a universal basic income. We need to demand a Medicare for all. We need to demand a Green New Deal. We need to demand a homes guarantee. Why is it that we have people in the U.S., with 40 plus million renting households, and these are pre-COVID stats, but with 40 plus million renting households, with half of them paying more than a third of their income on rent, with more than half of those, with, with then and then a fourth of those, 12, 13 million people paying more than half of their income on rent. And so I don't know about you, Ryan, but a majority of what I pay from my earnings that I get is on on rent. And that's the same for everybody in, in the U.S. Why is it that something that's so basic, that's so visible in up in your freight, up in your face, isn't wasn't one of the first task forces that Biden had declared? Why wasn't housing listed as a committee like and it's this out of touchness that we really need to realize, like, why are we doing why are we repeating this insanity of electing officials who clearly show that they don't care, who clearly show that they're disconnected? So now's our time to step up, to take our power back as the people and to push for policies that help us. And so we need to start looking out for candidacies, campaigns, parties and 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 different groups and communities that are really fighting for the people and putting the people first. And that's what our campaign's doing. I know that you've had many different great congressional candidates on your on your podcast before as well. And that's what a lot of them are doing. And it's for us to really step up and to demand what we as the people rightfully should be getting right now. It's it's our right yeah. as the American people. So what what's so interesting to me is that you hear people on the on the right say things like, you know, we don't want the government to control us. And what I think is so funny is that it, it, what they don't understand is that right now, it's not the government who's controlling us. It's the corporations. We are living under corporate rule. And when you have, for, for an example, like when you have a healthcare system that is based on profit and, you know, I had a friend who had decent healthcare, they get cancer, all of a sudden a, an insurance company can deny your claim, then you have to file bankruptcy in the middle of having cancer. That's not freedom. You know what I mean? And so when it comes to, you know, people having to work at their job, they're not making a living wage or they have to work two or three jobs because they're not being paid, you know, a living wage. Like that's not freedom. And so come to find out, like we are not living in a nation that 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 is free. When you when you're constantly at behold, you know, these giant corporations are kind of ruling us. And I think you know, that to me is the big disconnect that 
if people want to be free, like we need to, and that's why I, I became a supporter of universal basic income. You know, money equals freedom. Put money directly into the people's hands. They can use it, you know, if they want to start a small business or if they want to just have more freedom to live their lives, give it to them, put it in their pockets, you know, because, and that's a way to give the people more power. So they're not beholden to these giant corporations because, and like you said about the small businesses, that terrifies me. Nothing has been worse for small businesses over the last 40 years than these giant corporations who have bought off our government and who keep getting more powerful. You know, think of how many businesses Amazon has put out, you know, how many small businesses Amazon has put out of business. And so, you know, you just think of it from that perspective, like we are heading down a very dangerous path where fewer and fewer people control us you know, and, and the people have less and less power. And in our constitution, it talks about, you know, the pursuit of, uh, you know, of life, liberty, and happiness. And this doesn't seem to me like, like life, liberty, and happiness, you know, what America has, has turned into. Um, you know, I want to ask you about Andrew Yang specifically and what his endorsement meant to you uh, and what he has meant for the progressive movement. You know, I, I'm a Bernie guy, but I have a lot of respect for Yang because like Bernie, He's actually fighting for something. So much of our politics, as we've discussed in this podcast, is about being against Trump, you know, but that is not going to move us forward. Yes, we all know Trump is bad, but that's not a policy that will improve anyone's life. And with Bernie and Yang, they are actually fighting for policies that will improve the material conditions of the American people and heal our nation. So I just want to get your take on, on Andrew Yang and what he's meant for your campaign and just the movement overall. Yeah, Andrew Yang, uh, he's a great guy. Um, just even individually, when you have a talk with him, he's just very fatherly caring. He's a human being. Um, he's actually a real person. He doesn't, you don't get the vibe of politics when you're talking with him or engaging with him. And it's because he's, he's, He's lived amongst us within our communities and is able to connect with the real struggles that are going on. And that's the type of people that we need in office coming from all different walks and backgrounds and stories of life. And and I think for him to be on that debate stage last year was very refreshing for a lot of people, in addition to Marianne Williamson as well. Um, and so when I was actually watching the Democratic presidential debates last year, my top four were um, Andrew, Bernie, Marianne, and Tulsi. And I would just be so glued to the TV watching anything that the four would say. Um, and so I, and then I think that's, that's not, I think, but that's ac approximately when I just threw my hat into the race here and thought, you know what, we really need to run for office. Uh, the people, even though I might not be qualified, even though I'm not a career politician or have been in politics, like I've had the, the nine years of the two, three job daily grind and hustle of how worrying how to make ends meet every day, waking up to that deep-rooted chronic economic anxiety, I still have $200,000 in law school loans to pay. So it's it's kind of in the sense of what are we what are we doing and what are we fighting for? And that's what Andrew, that's what Marianne, that's what Bernie, that's what Tulsi really helped help to let help to let the American people know like what, these are the conditions that it's going on right now and this is where we could be going if we don't really act up and shape up and that's why um, 
Andrew, I know for his platform particularly, you had issues, campaign issues that you didn't find on anybody's other platforms and, and unique ideas. Um, and so one of them being universal basic income, democracy dollars, um, uh, getting rid of the penny and all these other types of uh, very specific issues. Um, and, and with universal basic income, it's 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 not a thing that I mean yes because of Andrew yes it's a national discussion and now it's on the table and and that's uh, one of the reliefs and and demands that we're making as the people but it's something that had started before um, before with our four founding fathers like with Alec, um, uh, with Thomas Paine and and uh, with MLK and where it was this idea in the early beginnings of America where it, this idea of owning land it doesn't make sense so. So because before us, there were the indigenous people and groups that lived and communities that lived here. And before them, the land was already there. So how can you say that you own land? And so they created what was called the land endowment tax fund into which tax would be collected. And then that tax would be redistributed as a basic income to everybody. And so it's not something that has been just suddenly thought of and created. It's 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 a concept that has been talked about and debated over years. And it, it passed in the House twice in the late 60s, early 70s, I think it's 71. Um, but it didn't pass in the Senate. And, and even MLK Jr., the late MLK, um, he he was fighting for it, and he talks about it in his last book when he was on his last book speaking to her of where do we go from here, and he talks about how we we try to address all of these problems with all of these policies, and we start with all this good intention, but when it goes to the implementation of it all, we do everything else first, and then when it comes time to actually addressing the reason why uh, we did all of these policies and implementation, like we have nothing left and that problem just continues to be there. And that's what we've done with poverty. That's what we've done with our um, our unhoused communities and, and not being able to eradicate poverty and nipping it in the butt. And and so it's it's something that's been fought of over the years, but it's it's this pushback from the government, pushback from the corporate interests where they're all afraid that if the people are given money directly into their hands, that's giving them too much freedom. That's giving them too much power. That's giving it too much away from us to them. And it's this deep, deep, deep-rooted greed that is controlling our country by just a few at the top. And so... Um, so yeah, so going back to this universal basic income idea that Andrew had brought and like, he sort of opened my eyes on that at first, to be honest, Ryan, I'm being so honest when I heard about that, me too, I was already brainwashed into thinking that we're not worth it, that we don't get to get money to, to, to get a dividend passed back to us as the people. And so at first I thought, oh, oh my gosh, why, why is he preaching that? And then the more I learned about universal basic income, the more I learned about how it could really actually help us right now as the people, it, it, it was just this thing that kind of just suddenly just made sense of, yes, yes, we need to give cash directly into the hands of the people. We need to cut out bureaucracy. We need to cut out all of these other policies and measures in between that that our legislators, when they say, oh yeah, we passed, we passed um, hazard pay for you. We passed uh, a, a one-time stimulus check for you without even saying the billions and billions of dollars that they passed away otherwise to the, to the corporate and the wealthy on the other side. So we don't want that. So don't give us that. Just give us money directly. And don't say that you're passing this for us, but then doing more for, for the few at the top. And so to get an endorsement by Andrew was really huge. It, it, it brought us 
kind of um, this endorsement of, hey, like this is a this is a campaign in Los Angeles that's really fighting for their community. Um, David is a, a local. He's been on his neighborhood council. He's an organizer. He's an immigration attorney. He's just like me. I'm um, not a career politician. And so uh, the thing that I like to say when I connect with potential supporters and donors is I talk about Andrew and Marianne because they're not the career politicians and because you can see the heart and passion that they have. And they're not saying yeah. the same old, same old language that a lot of the candidates have and still are continuing to do today. And so for us, it meant a lot just to get endorsement from a real human being. What's interesting when you talk about, you know, the four candidates that spoke to you uh, and Bernie and uh, Andrew Yang and Tulsi and Marianne, those were the four candidates who were challenging the status quo and, and challenging the way business is done in Washington. And what I find so fascinating is and those are the candidates that spoke to me as well. But then if you turn on our corporate media, you know, if you turn on MSNBC or CNN, those were the candidates that the commentators were the hardest on and that criticized the most. While they were, were so easy on candidates like, you know, Klobuchar and Biden and Kamala and, you know, Cory Booker and all the candidates who want to just continue business as usual in Washington. And so I just find it so interesting just how the corporate media has been able to kind of it's, I think, the biggest tool that, that maintains the status quo in Washington. You know, most of the commentators you see on MSNBC are Washington insiders. They, they themselves are disconnected from the pain of everyday working people. You know, I, I never turn on the corporate media and hear them talking about a policy that will help the working class. It's always, you know, oh my God, Trump said this. Oh my God, Pelosi ripped up a piece of paper. You know, it's they 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 talk about just frivolous things that 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 don't actually matter to to the working class and to the people who are living in poverty and are struggling. And so, I just find it so fascinating how like the candidates that spoke that spoke to you and and also spoke to me and spoke to millions of others who want to see real change. You know, those are the candidates that the corporate media just. just hated and you know and criticized every step of the way uh and then another thing i want to respond to what you said which i think is so key is about is is about that these corporations and our you know our our government is they're trying to control us and they do the same thing like the same reason they're against universal basic income and, and giving the people power and putting cash in their hands it's the same reason that that the corporations and most uh, you know, corporate politicians are against Medicare for all. Because what? how do these giant corporations keep their employees at their jobs? A lot of them are work, people are working jobs they don't want to work at just for their health care. You know, these corporations use health care to kind of keep their employees intact. And so, you know, but then, you know, at will, they can fire someone and then they fire someone and they lose their health care. And as we've seen in this pandemic, the idea of attaching our healthcare to a corporation is just insane. Like we, our health, we, everyone in America should just have guaranteed healthcare. But again, the powerful want to use things to control us. So it's just this, this dynamic is that yes, we are fighting back against this deep rooted greed that controls our political system and that controls all of us. And so I love people that get in there and want to do something different because again, if we keep doing the same thing, nothing's going to change. You know, it's that old phrase, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is insanity. Like that's the definition of insanity. Yet we keep electing the same corporate backed politicians 
and expecting progress. And I think what's important for people to know, like it doesn't matter if it's a red corporate-backed politician or a blue corporate-backed politician. They both support the oligarchy. So just replacing a red, you know, a Republican with a corporate Democrat, that's not going to give us progress on, you know, on climate, uh, on climate or on healthcare or on income inequality or on racial injustice. That's just going to give more progress to the oligarchy because corporate backed politicians in both parties serve and work for the oligarchy. And so we have to put in people powered progressive, you know, candidates like yourself and like other progressives or democratic socialists that are running all across this country who are not beholden to the big money donors and who don't want to serve the oligarchy who actually want to serve the people of this country like our constitution says mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i and and there will be there will be a time where we will be able to look back at this right and, uh, uh, from some time from now and hopefully say hey like we've made some progress we made some improvements and and so it's not to say like for those who are listening like this is this is like stuff for us to really use as energy to run with and to be empowered with and to, and to realize oh we have the power if we can just learn to really mobilize and organize and, and to be awake and just to even engage. Um, and so for us to realize that instead of waiting for somebody to come along, like we are, we are what, like, I guess that quote, um, was it Alan Watts or I don't know who said it, but, but we have, we are what we have been waiting for, looking for, um, whatever that quote is. And so it's realizing that and, and going back to the corporate rule, uh, one of my things, Ryan, that I'm so curious at finding out is as soon as we're elected, as soon as I get into office, of course, I'll be right. I'll be working from day one. But just to get into the belly of the beast and really see what's happening and to be able to share that with our people and communities of, hey, this is what's happening in your government right now. And to be able to be more engaged, to let our communities know that our government is an open government. It's not a closed government. And why are we acting and, and acquiescing th that like it's it's okay that they're legislating behind closed doors or with lobbyists and, and don't even know the thousands of pages that they're passing for other interests in mind and, and making even that process more transparent. And so for us, it's it's really about putting the people first. And so like even after getting into office right now, we have uh, constituent um, neighborhood meetings where if you go to our website, davidkim2020.com, you can book an office hour constituent meeting with me. I'll talk with you and see and listen to you and hear what you have to say and what your story is and what you've experienced. And I would love to hear because that's the meaning of a representative. Represent, represent. And so for, for I think this whole moral revolution needs to happen in D.C. as well, where the people are now being more engaged, where the people get to have more say because they've been shut out for years. What we found, Ryan, is a lot of our uh, potential constituents or supporters in the district, as soon as they hear a call about a campaign, they just hang up. And it breaks my heart, not because I'm personally offended or anything. No, that's the least. But it breaks my heart to see them having no faith, no trust in their government, no interest, because we've allowed that lack of distrust, faith, this viewing of politicians merely being salespeople, like we've allowed that. How's, 
how sad is that? Like, what kind of government have we done? And it's this this trust and rebuilding of trust and faith in the government that needs to be done too. And so that's why we need to elect people into office that that can really be able to have the ability to say, I pledge my 100% allegiance to the people, to you. And so I don't want to hear you saying that you support, that you just text blasted, I support Medicare for all, when your pharmaceutical companies and healthcare company donors don't, and they'll tell you not to. Like, why are you even doing that? And so I think, I think we've, <laughs> I know that we've covered it in much detail in this combo, but, but it's time for, it's time for corporate Dems, corporate Republicans to go. Uh, I know we kind of covered it briefly, but I want to ask you just because I think it's it needs to be highlighted again. Last week, the, the DNC platform committee voted against Medicare for all Medicare for kids. They voted against legalizing cannabis. They voted against rejecting corporate PAC money, and they voted against banning corporate lobbyists from serving on the DNC. They rejected all of that from the DNC platform to, to be added to the DNC platform. And Here's what here's what gets me is the DNC is refusing to make systemic changes during a moment when the people are demanding systemic change. What are your thoughts on this? Because I don't know how any reasonable person can claim this party represents the people when they are voting against the policies the people want. I mean, just like the GOP, they're representing the oligarchy to me. Um, they yes, that's a very, very fair assessment. Um, and the, I think that that has a message to all those who are registered as democrats to all of you who and and to myself like when that news came out that the dnc platform committee voted against the the policies that you had just referenced uh ryan even the most basic in your face like medicare for all or even rejecting corporate money like and and all of the other ones equally too but when 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 that when that happens that should send all of us a message who are registered hey is that are those my views is that the party that i stand for wait i thought i was a democrat oh this is the democrat party now and so these deeper questions need to happen and i know that we're very busy with our own daily grind and hustle and i and i get it but but again politics is everything and and so it's for us to realize how is this going to affect me my family and communities for the next 30 40 years my children after that like if we're not taking a bold stance now who's going to we can't continue to wait for somebody to come. And so with, with that being said, like when that happened, I, I remember tweeting, wait, I'm I'm running with the Democratic Party. Right. And like I remember tweeting that because I was just in such disbelief. I mean, you can go ahead and say one thing, but but just to have the committee itself. I mean, it's not a it's not a complete surprise, to be honest. I mean, kind of having seen what what's been done in the past and currently with uh, with how what they did to Tulsi and everything else. But but it's it's just kind of realizing and and now noting like I, I think it's that um, it's that it's that inability to get over things or to get over someone or to get over a party like I think this is that time where we actually need to have that deeper contemplation. I mean, I'm not s switching parties. I'm running as a Democrat right now, um, but it, it, like I'm not switching to Republican or Green. Um, I'm running as a Democrat right now, and so but but it's in the sense of like. If, if if we don't see change happening within the party, 
I don't even know where the party will end up going. And, and it's, it's people like, like me, it's people like Angelica Duenas, Liam O'Mara, uh, Shahid, Jen Perel, um, and, 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 and others who are people powered where we can say, Hey, if our party fails us, that doesn't matter because our allegiance is still a hundred percent to the people because we're powered by you because we're powered by our communities. So yeah, F what my party says, like on certain things, because I'm fighting for you. Yeah, I might be running as a Democrat right now, but I think it's also that, Ryan, where my experience pre-COVID and for, uh, I did, I I knocked on so many doors, way more many doors than my opponent. Um, I have way more many small donors than my opponent. Um, I had, I think last month we had more small donors that he had in two years. But it's kind of this realization of when I was going out and talking with people and knocking on doors, I, I mean, yes, there were Republicans and independents and libertarians. They kind of like stepped back and said, wait, like you're running as a Democrat. But, but for me, it's like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm running as a Democrat because in our district, it's heavily blue and, um, only Democrats win. And we happen to arguably be one of the 10 most, I would think the 10 most progressive districts in the nation, but it's so weird that we have a self-alleged progressive who's actually a corporate centrist. Um, but it's, it's to say like that didn't, that, that that's why I'm running as a party, but forget the labels. Like this is who I am. This is what I'm fighting for. These are my values. These are what I experiences. And, and this is what I want to fight for us to do. Once that message come, came across, like we had Republican supporters, Green Party supporters, independent supporters from, from all over, from across the aisle. And that's what we should be doing um, in Congress as well. But it's just so like even with that, I mean, all I mean, it's it's on the guise of party politics, but they're all serving the same corporate lords and masters. And so um, it's just something that we just need to realize with the DNC platform votes that came out of, hey, is it really two distinct parties or is it one party now? I think that's that is the question. I mean, for me, it just it was like, wait, whose side are you on? You know, who who are you really fighting for? And and, and I think that's an important question. Uh, and I also think it's important that we we start to elect you know progressives and that are very clear on, on, that they are on the side of the people like you are you know i as much as i think we need a major progressive party i also support you know people like you who are running to to essentially save the democratic party from itself you know running to actually heal the democratic party and and running to return the democratic party to its progressive roots you know i also think it's always important to remind people like the Democratic Party didn't always used to be a corporate extremist party. You know, at one point, the Democratic Party was, you know, the party of FDR and, the, you know, the party of, you know, Medicare and Social Security and, you know, fighting for a 40-hour work week and setting up the, the minimum wage. I mean, there was a moment after the Great Depression where the Democratic Party was standing with the working class. But it was really, you know, it was really in the 90s and Bill Clinton just kind of solidified, you know, selling out the party to Wall Street and that's when, you know, the American people essentially now, you know, we're stuck in this political system where every four to eight years we go back and forth from either center right corporate extremism or, you know, far right fascism. And that's just not a kind of politics, either of them, that are going to actually, you know, improve the lives of the American people, you know, and so we've got to get out of this 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 system and i think the only way we do it is by continuing to fight to elect you know people like you who actually 
aren't going to be beholden to the corrupt system and want to go in there uh, and, and actually represent the people. Um, I have a question for you. Once you beat Jimmy Gomez in November, are you willing to stand up to not just the Republicans, but also the corporate Democrats in Congress? Because oh, one, yeah. <laughs> one of the big things, good. One of the, one of the issues I see is that progressives and democratic socialists have to stop backing down to corporate Democrats. What we're fighting for is righteous and what they're fighting for is the status quo. They're the ones choosing to put their corporate donors over the people. And then they try to gaslight us for calling them out for doing it. You know, so will you, are you willing to stand up to not just Republicans, but also corporate Democrats? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I am willing to stand up against anyone. And, and just to say that I'm running as a Democrat doesn't mean, I mean, much in the sense of where the two parties are right now. And so we, we need to be standing up against those uh, that are leading our country astray. And those are those who are tied to their corporate interests and donors and continue circulating the money amongst themselves. And that needs to be stopped. And so um, maybe the the speech that some of you have seen at my opponent's residence, maybe that might not be the first. Maybe you'll see it in Congress, yes. but, but minus the profanity. But but I think it's it's this type of spine and, and power and courage that we need to have to, to really stand up for ourselves and, and to and to really be alleged I mean to, to, to really be tied and connected and, and to our people and putting the communities first because if we're not electing people powered campaigns and candidates into office, then we'll never have fundamental change. It'll just be the same old and same old over and over again. And that's frightening. That is so frightening, uh, given where our country has been, where it is now, and where it continues to seem to go right now. And so, um, yeah, I, I most definitely will be standing up against. And um, I, for those who, for those, once you get to know me, Ryan, you'll, you'll be like, oh, yeah, David is one of those those types to, to speak up and to not be quieted down. Um, but but yeah, I will I will not be quiet in D.C. And um, I hope they're ready for me to make a ruckus. Yes. No, that's what we need, you know, and I think one of the things that bugs me is is so many people in our party right now think that the Titanic is sinking because we have this corrupt president. And I would tell that and I, you know, constantly I'm telling people like, no, like it's not the Titanic is sinking. America is failing, not because of one corrupt, pre, one corrupt president, but because our entire system is corrupt. You know, like we've talked about in this podcast, we don't live in a democracy. We live in an oligarchy where both political parties are bought, paid for, and controlled by the ruling class. America is failing because of systemic racism, because of our rigged economy, because of our corrupt political system, because of our broken healthcare system. And just getting rid of Trump and ignoring the systemic rot means nothing will fundamentally change. What, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, do you see Trump as the disease or, or it's just the symptom? Oh, no. Yeah, obviously. I mean, for me, it's a symptom. And, and I think it's just more as a scapegoat that a lot of um, that a lot of Dems use. I mean, even Pelosi herself uses uses him as a scapegoat, which she actually funds everything that he does. So it's it's, it's just like, are you serious? And I, I and my my human reaction when I am just in disbelief or just shock I, is to laugh uh, because I don't know what else to say, because it's just just very stupefying but but um it's it's we have a systemic failure in place and and i think there comes to a point where you're working you're working you're working you're working you're working and you realize wow i and 
thought I'd have savings, but I still don't have savings. Why is that? Hmm. That has, I mean, I think there's comes to a point where the system is completely rigged against us. And so mm. it's for us to, to realize how that happened, when that happened, who continues to enable to make that happen, and then to, to stop it. Um, and, and it's a very simple diagnosis that we, the people, need to take and not be afraid to do. Um, I, and I think it's like the kind of idea of, oh, I don't want to go to the doctor or open that can of worms because I don't want to hear or see what might be said. But no, we need to because it's for our benefit. It's for us to live. It's for our children to live. It's for us to live right now. And so um, it's these systemic failures that we need to realize that are in place. And it's not our fault. It's not. And, and it's just realizing the greaterness of it, of it all. And so to, to kind of illustrate the corporate factor, the, the example um, of it, Ryan, in the sense of two years ago, Kenneth Mejia was actually running for the same congressional seat that I'm running for against the same opponent. And he ran as a Green Party candidate. And um, our, he, as a Green Party candidate, he won 28% of the total vote of the general election. And in our district, there's less than 1% registered as Green. And for him to basically take a third of the Democratic vote and where a third of the Democratic voters in our district didn't even vote for their guy is says a lot. And so our people are starting to feel like, hey, things aren't going right. Like it's not supposed to happen where I work and work and work and still have no savings. Like you can feel it, but you actually don't know what it is. And so it's our duty for us to run, to go ahead and run against these incumbents and to, to while we're sharing our campaign and bigger vision, to also expose the harsh realities that are happening right now. And that's part of this political engagement and awareness and mobilizing and organizing that needs to happen. But what was so disappointing and so sad to see um, Ryan was at the time. So Kenneth Mejia, although he ran as a Green Party member in 2016, he was a Democrat. He was one of the the top. I, I, I don't know if I can say West Coast, but the top Los Angeles youth who were always tweeting about Bernie online. And he had thousands and thousands of tweets. And like he was that guy. But then once that whole 2016 thing happened, he he lost all hope and faith and trust. And he went and became and, and run as a Green Party member to challenge my opponent. But what Bernie did two years ago, he flew over to L.A. and endorsed my opponent, even though he knew that Kenneth used to be a Democrat, fully supportive of people's values and campaigns and issues, uh, that Bernie was fighting for, yet he supported and endorsed a corporate Democrat. And so when I saw that, I just thought, oh my gosh, this says a lot. Like, this is kind of crazy. And so that's what actually, and I'm going to be honest, right, and that's what made me suspicious a little bit in 2020 uh, with this whole campaign and the primary, the presidential debate starting last year. When Bernie came out strong, I was like, I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I tried to as much, but it was just like, yeah, yeah, go Bernie, go Bernie. But then because, because like I like to give you some background, I was number three, four on Kenneth's campaign core team for the general election. And so for me, it was very personal also, just in the sense of well, like we're fighting for people's values in our communities here on a local level. But you, Bernie, you just flew in and you didn't even talk to anybody on the grassroots levels who are working here on the day in and day out. And you just endorse the corporate guy. What are you doing? It's things like this that are happening. And I, and I know and I know some people will kind of hate me for saying this, but like even and I, I totally respect Cornell West 
um, completely do. I still do. But when people like him come into our local races without talking with our local grassroots orgs, without talking with people and activists and organizers that are working for change, and they come and endorse a corporate person Mark, like Mark Ridley Thomas, like, what are you doing to our communities? Like, And so that's where it kind of wakes you up in the sense of, there's, the, there's a corporate machine that's at play and they're keeping tabs and dibs on everything. Why is it that our race is, why, why my race, why Angelica's race, why Liam's race, why Shahid's race, and I'm mentioning these four because we happen to be the people-powered candidates that are challenging the incumbents in the general election this November in California. Why is it that we can't get media exposure? It's because the corporate machine is controlling the media. And we're not a hot, they, they don't think we're hot to go ahead and, and show, show a spotlight on. But in actuality, it's the complete opposite because if you were to put us on TV if you were to put us on their media we would start mobilizing and activating the people and that's what they're afraid of that's what they're afraid of they're afraid of the people waking up right now and so so it's a reality check for us and to realize what's going on to and to to really um, include and note that in our strategy as as we go about um, organizing in our own ways as we go about supporting different campaigns and policies. Like we also have need to do a deeper reality check for our, for our own selves. No, absolutely. And what you say, you know, this is the moment like to wake everyone up and to move this nation forward. And I think to me, that is the great tragedy, like with, with Biden being the nominee, because there is a big difference between beating Donald Trump and moving America forward and beating Donald Trump and returning to business as usual. And with Joe Biden's looming presidency, I do think he'll probably win, but I don't see his, if he does win, I don't see his presidency as any kind of vehicle for the kind of fundamental changes that we need to make to this system so that it works again uh, for working people. And so that to me, again, it's like we keep having these moments where it's like people are almost waking up. They're almost waking up. You know, Bernie almost did it in 2016. And then, you know, it went back to corporate power. And then, you know, Bernie almost did it in this cycle again. And, and, and like you're saying, you know, politics is local. And every, you know, progressive candidate and organizer and person should listen to the local activists on the ground because, you know, nobody knows what's best for your community than you do because you're on the ground, you know, you're the one making the speeches outside of the, your corporate incumbents home, you know, you're the one connecting with the activists in your community. So I do think that respecting local activism is so important, you know, when national figures come into those races. So I know, thank you for bringing that up. You know, look, it, all everyone, no one is perfect. Every person yeah, yeah. is. No, I, t I totally so, get that too. And, yeah. and, and this whole, <laughs> yeah. And like, one of the things I think that holds the Democratic Party back is, is that a lot of Democrats, it's so funny to me, is the more centrist or more liberal ones will accuse, you know, progressives of or or you know, Bernie's movement of being cultists when it's the centrists who are literally putting politicians on pedestals, you know, politicians like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, you know, and pretending they walk on water. And if you criticize any of those politicians, they will lash out at you. And those politicians are the ones that are helping co corporations and billionaires, you know, and they put them on pedestals and act like they're above reproach. And that's just not democracy. You know, we shouldn't be putting any politicians on pedestals. They are there to serve us. And so I just find it so fascinating that here we are in the Democratic Party. And, you know, someone like me, I speak out against, you know, corporate, po 
Democrats because I don't think they're representing the people. And that has met with a lot of, you know, it makes a lot of people angry. But again, their job, our job is to hold our public officials accountable. You know, blind obedience to a political party is not democracy. That's authoritarianism. So like we've got to start holding everyone accountable and not, you know, no one is is, is above criticism or above reproach or we're never going to improve things yeah. or change things. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're totally right. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, oh, we've already went over an hour. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I ask everyone this, this question who's running for office. Um, and so I'll, I'll ask you, what, what have you learned about yourself and what have you learned about America in running for Congress? Yeah, um, kind of running myself. Um, I mean, it's now August, a little over a year ago, I had no idea I'd be running for office. But now looking back at the one year, a lot has happened. Oh my gosh, a lot has happened. Um, just on a personal growth level, on a national level, community level, city level, um, family and everything. And what I've realized is and learned is I've, I have I have a throat, I have a neck, I have a voice. I mean, that's the physical, but even beyond physical, like we have a voice to to articulate, to express from from deeply from within. And we have that voice, whether it be in writing, whether it be in audible, auditory, um, audible noises or, but we have that voice and it's our, it's our freedom to go ahead and use that voice and to speak up and use that voice. And that's so that's what I've realized for myself where, oh, like, I mean, in the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, but I'm not a politician. Can I really do the whole talk and, and stuff like that? And, and I felt very timid and, and kind of not a little reserved. But the more I began to speak up, the more I began connected to become more connected with my heart, with my values, with the suffering that and experience that I, that I've had and, and continue to to experience with in conjunction with other communities and neighbors and residents all around us, and it's realizing that yo, if we just make the conscious choice to use our voice because it's there and to speak up, that's how we begin to step into our power. And so for us, like with our campaign. Even just seeing the volunteers and staff just step into their power, looking at where they were when they first joined and where they're at now. It's all about having each other realize that, hey, you matter, you matter, you matter, I matter, we all matter. You're powerful, I'm powerful, we're all, we're, you're loving, I'm loving. And it's realizing like the, the beauty and the power of us all and calling that out and letting us really be free from our own selves, from our own reactive thoughts. And so for me, I've really learned to step into power, to my power, to step into my voice. And collectively, that also translates to us as the people, to us as our own communities, to us as the people across the country is we need to realize that, yes, we matter and that we it's now our time to now use that voice to also, just as I discovered during this one year process, to use that voice and to now take action and to now step into our power. And so this is the moment that I feel like we're in right now. And what I've learned about America, we've been too complacent, we've been too numb. And it's and yes, there's there's some partly there's some reasons that we have, but I can see how we've become so numb and uh, just completely numb and indifferent and dead to what's going on in our country. And that's because we 
that's because we've been pushed down for 40 plus years telling learning to learning learning or being forced to learn that this life of hard tough work and struggle is supposed to be the life that we're entitled and and that we're only worthy of but no that's what we've been brainwashed to do and so now it's really for the people to to step up and so what I've learned about America is we've become too complacent. There's been corporate interest uh, ruling every part of our lives, and now it's time to rise up and, and for the people to say, hey, we matter, and to step up. No, that's beautiful. I mean, we deserve a better world. You know, better things are possible. You know, so many times Washington sends this message that, like, you know, better things aren't possible and that you don't deserve health care and you don't deserve a, a universal basic income. No, the fact is we do deserve all of that. In the richest nation in the world, we can have a government and an economy and a healthcare system and that works for everybody. And, and so I just want to thank you for your courage, for getting in the fight. Uh, I want to thank you for taking this hour and talking to me. And, um, you know, how I also want to encourage all my listeners to, you know, spend an hour a week and, and phone bank for you so they can help and be a part of this progressive movement and help elect uh, a people-powered candidate. So where can my listeners go so they can sign up to phone bank once a week or to chip in 20 bucks if they have it? Yes. Yes, yes. Please, please go to davidkim2020.com. Um, there's the volunteer tab, the donate tab. For the volunteer, you can just add forward slash uh, volunteer. And um, I believe for the donate, it's also forward slash donate. Um, so yes, please go ahead and uh, volunteer, donate to our campaign. Uh, we are running up against uh, an opponent where 98.8% of his donations are from big donors and corporate PAC money, uh, from private prisons to police PACs to military industrial complex to pharmaceutical healthcare companies, debt collectors, um, you name it, um, he, he's funded by it. So, so, so yeah, we would love to get all the support we can. We have about 87, 86, 88 days. I, I lost track, Ryan. 80, <laughs> but we have less than 90 days. Um, I actually um, turned in my uh, three-week notice, and I will be committing full-time to the campaign September 1st. Um, so we're in it to win it. Um, so join our join join this race. This is the next AOC versus Joe Crowley, Corey Bush uh, type of race. So please join us. That's awesome. And and we're seeing that. You know that what what Corey Bush did this week was just fantastic. So we are seeing. You know, as much as our party is controlled by these corporate interests. We are seeing the people fight back. Uh, and so I'm so grateful for you for being a big part of that. And uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. So again, thanks, David, for taking the time today. Thank you, Ryan. Before I close the show, I just want to thank uh, all our Patreon subscribers for making this podcast possible. So I would like to thank Frank Cardenas, Joyce Yang, Jeremy Leeming, Liz Kirkland, Jeff Bonner, William Holtz, Trent Tobler, Michael Hardy, Molly Secors, Insurgent, Alexandra Orso, Shanna Pearson, Patty Cleary, Walter Hackett, Alan Wood, Russell Whitworth, Ruben Sanchez Jr., Colin Bowden, Elizabeth Kim, John Lloyd IV, Eileen O'Farrell, and Mary Fancher. Thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. And if you'd like to become a Patreon subscriber, you can go to patreon.com slash proud socialist. I hope you guys have a great weekend and I'll catch you next week with an all new episode of Amped Up with Ryan Knight.